Thank you for downloading the Sunday morning sermon from Sunday, November 3rd, The Gospel Project, A Look at Hosea. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. Today, I want to let you know that we are continuing our trek through The Gospel Project. We have been doing this now for a handful of weeks. Since September 29th, we started off with a prophet, Elijah. We went to the prophet, Elisha. And then to the prophet Jonah. And in that process, we uh, had an opportunity to move and see how God called them and how they responded. And in it all, I I want you to see, and maybe you've already kind of put this together, but God can call us to do some pretty crazy things. He actually called these guys to do some pretty crazy things. When you think about Elijah, and he says, hey, I want you to go hang out by a ravine, be fed by birds. He had a crazy plan in it all. Now, the great thing is, is God had a purpose to it to show his provision. You also have Elisha, where he had to give up the comfortable life and go follow a wanted man of God. Once again, there was a purpose behind it. Jonah, go to the evilest city and preach the gospel, a gospel of repentance to these people who are just far from God. Once again, a specific thing. But strange things they have to do. The crazy thing is, it's... Those aren't the strangest things that God asked some of the prophets to do. Do you know anything about Ezekiel? Ezekiel had to lay on his side for over a year and cook his food while there, at first over human dung, but then he begged God to change it to animal dung. There was actually a purpose behind it. It represented the, the disobedience and rebellion of, of the people of Israel who had walked away from God, and every day he had to lay there was every year they had been in rebellion. There was a guy by the name of Isaiah. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you didn't know this part of it all, but he had to run around naked and barefoot for three years. That was one of the callings that God had given him. Anybody up for that one? Yeah, okay, so I was just wondering. And then you have Daniel, who had to eat vegetables. That's a terrible calling, okay? I don't know why God would even make him do those kind of things. But today, honestly, is the one that we're going to talk about that might be the craziest, most difficult calling of them all. And the guy we're going to talk about today is a guy by the name of Hosea. Now, I'm sure that your Bibles don't just naturally fall open to Hosea. If you have a Bible app, it's easier to get there. But in Hosea, what I'd like for you to do is take a moment just to, as, as I kind of give you a little bit of backstory, to get there. I put a handy little guide up there. So if you find Isaiah, go a couple books over, you'll find Isaiah. If you hit Obadiah, go backwards a little bit. But to hit Hosea, we're going to take a look. And we're going to dive just a little bit deeper into it. Now, let me just tell you, this is a great story. It's a weird story. It's a strange story. It's a strange calling, but it's an amazing story that points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a story that points to the reckless, redeeming love of God. And when you see the story, my biggest fear all week long is I would not do this story justice. I mean, this story needs to be told as a story by a guy like Morgan Freeman, that, that voice that just has that real soft, subtle, and everybody just leans in and listens to it. Because I even told Christy, I said, my biggest fear is that we won't get it. We won't get it. See, I, I, I'm going to be very honest. When I do Bible studies and stuff like that, Jose isn't the place where I hang out. It's never been the one where, like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take some time and I'm going to look at the prophecies that, that come from Hosea. But the more time I've spent in it this week... I'll tell you, it, it really has kind of opened my eyes to, to who 
God is. And even though it happened 750 years before Christ and pointed towards Christ, and 2,800 years since then, the world hasn't changed that much. The world really hasn't changed that much. And so what I want to do, since I said we're going to kind of take it from a story point of view, I want to start today off with a, a famous beginning to a story by Charles Dickens. And maybe you've heard of it, A Tale of Two Cities. And it starts off with these words. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. When Hosea shows up on the scene, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Best of times, there were material wealth. There was abundance. There was luxury. There was security in all the things that the Israelites had, especially for the upper class. And, and the people of Israel were enjoying that affluence physically and materially. But it was also the worst of times. And the reason why it was the worst of times is because they put so much reliance on their stuff, they felt like they didn't need God anymore. You know what the crazy thing is? It kind of sounds familiar to right now. We have so much stuff that why would we possibly need God? Now, the book of Amos actually is in the same time period that Hosea is called. And there's a thing that Hosea, or, or Amos the prophet writes in chapter 5 of Amos, verses 21 through 24, that he's writing to the people during this worst of times when they, they have basically abandoned God spiritually. It says this, God speaking, I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fat and cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. I look at that and I think, does God say the same thing to us? Because it's just a part of the process that, that we, we do, church, but the rest of life is all about all of our other gods. That is where Hosea shows up on the screen. It, it is, is the whole idea of the best of times. They had everything they needed except for it's the worst of times they didn't have God. And it's a struggle that they were going through. And in the middle of it all, God raises up this prophet Hosea to speak to the lives of the people of Israel in such a way that they would be no longer deceived by the temporary stuff, but come back to the God that loves them so much that he would bring salvation back to Israel. And by the way, do you know what Hosea's name means? We've talked about what Elijah's name means and Elisha's name means and Jonah's name. Did you know that Hosea's name actually means salvation? His name means salvation. So the thing is, is they were missing it. They were missing it. They were spiritually blind, kind of like we talked about a few weeks ago with, with Elisha. And they were spiritually blind, and Hosea was going to be used to open their eyes, to bring them to that point. This was Hosea's calling. I told you there's some crazy callings in it all, and his calling was to share the gospel with the people that thought they knew God, but they didn't. That thought they knew who God was. Now, that may not sound terrible. That may not sound terrible. No worse than living in a ravine or having birds feed you or having to go preach to your worst enemies. That doesn't sound that bad. But here is the case that I found with some of the weird callings. Is that God didn't just want their mouths to be the illustration. They wanted their lives to be the illustration. 
They wanted their lives. He wanted to call people to himself through action, not just words. And he used a living visual illustration. I mean, parables are good and all, but a lifestyle is so much more powerful. As a matter of fact, yesterday or the day before yesterday, Bob Monclova, one of our elders, texted me this from a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Coleman. He puts ODG next to it. It means old dead guy. But this is the quote that it says. One living sermon is worth more than a hundred illustrations. And I said, how perfect for the life of Hosea. One living sermon is worth more than a hundred illustrations. So as we dive into Hosea, we're going to see his life is the illustration. His life is what's going on in Israel. I hope I've given you enough time to find the book now. If you were there, Hosea chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says these words. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him. Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to go marry a promiscuous woman. Now, some of you may have a translation that says the word prostitute. Some of you may have a translation that says the word harlot. Some of you have one that just talks about the, the, the deep, sinful nature of this woman. And there's a lot of debate among the scholars, a lot of different things. But what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to illustrate the relationship between Israel and God. A woman who is off sleeping with others other than her husband is similar to Israel off dating other gods other than their one God that loves them so much. This is the illustration that it's going to bring together. Now, some people debate, was Gomer, who we're going to meet here in just a moment, a prostitute or was she just promiscuous? Was she just promiscuous? Was she a, a basically... A, a reason from the society, a, a product of the society that had given up on God. I mean, to be promiscuous in, in this culture wasn't a big deal. It's kind of like in our culture today, well, who cares about marriage? Who, who cares about saving yourself for marriage? You know how many people I talk to, that, that's just a laughable subject, even within the church? That, that those two things aren't a big deal at all? Because we live in a society that doesn't make it a big deal. Therefore, they're being ingrained and taught in that way. My guess is that's where Gomer was at as well. Promiscuity was just what she did because she didn't know anything different. Nobody had ever set a moral standard for her. Nobody ever had taken her to, to church or taught her or walked her through what, who God is and why he wanted these things and why it mattered to our lives. Nobody ever talked to her about that. So this was going to be the natural thing that's going to take place. The thing is... When you have that type of lifestyle, sometimes it takes as long to undo the poor teaching as it does to instill the right teaching. And we're going to see that throughout this story today. We're going to see that just like Israel is doing to God, Gomer is going to do to Hosea. God's calling Israel out for looking elsewhere. Looking elsewhere for love, looking elsewhere for acceptance. Instead of looking towards God. They found anything they could to replace God. 
That is what they are chasing after. They put their trust in something else. They put their hope in something else. As a matter of fact, if you go to Hosea chapter 5, it really talks about that and how they leaned a different direction and stayed away from God. Now, up front, that doesn't sound immoral. That doesn't sound like the same promiscuity that we're talking about with Gomer here. But here's the thing. Affairs don't just happen. There's a slow drift and there's a slow fade as we drift away from what God has called us to do. And when we turn to something other than God for help and we're worried or when we're afraid or when we're stressed or when we don't understand or when we're really struggling with what's going on and we need comfort, we need joy, if we turn to something other than God, issues will arise. Issues will arise. We ask ourselves, God, are you really in control or am I? God, are you really going to take this into your hands and run with it, or do I have to do it? And a lot of times we start leaning on the I, and we find our own source of hope, our own source of satisfaction, our own source of joy, and our own source of comfort in something other than God. Now, if you're married, and I was describing your spouse, that they found their own source of joy, their own source of hope, their own source of satisfaction, their own source of comfort in the arms of somebody else, what would we call that? We call it an affair. Whether it be a a physical or emotional affair, that's what we would call it. Well, the same thing from a spiritual standpoint towards God. I mean, why do people in life turn to drunkenness or drugs to get high or turn things like sex or pornography? Why do they go to things that are just things or money to find their comfort and find their thing? It's because we don't trust God to be the provider. We don't trust him to be the one that is going to step in. We don't trust him and we refuse to trust him. We push him away. When we do that, we are spiritually promiscuous. And that is where we find Israel doing the exact same things. So, Back to the story. I've already told you a little bit about it, but this is what happens in verse 3. So he, Hosea, went and married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So the marriage takes place, and a child is born. A marriage takes place, and a child is born. From all outward appearances, she is with Hosea. She is in love with Hosea, and Hosea loves her deeply. He's not just going through the motions, and they have a son by the name of Jezreel. Like everything else, The name Jezreel has meaning. And if you read the rest of chapter 1, you will see the meaning of what Jezreel is all about. But as we begin, you'll also see there's two more kids that are born. One, a girl, that's name means not loved. And one, a boy, who means not my people. Now, when you start to look at that, you can look at the first verse and it says, they got married and she bore him a son. The next two, just she gave birth. A lot of scholars say these weren't Hosea's kids, these next two, by name and by the fact that the wordings didn't ever say she bore him a girl and she bore him another son. It was not his. So this promiscuity is already out there. Now, guys, ladies, I'm not sure if you've ever had to deal with that. I'm not sure if you've had family members who've ever had to deal with that or friends who've ever had to deal with that. But this has got to be painful. This has got to be a painful thing. And, And... As you start to look at it, it adds this twist to the story of what God has called Hosea to do. But here's the cool thing. Even through it all, Hosea still loves his wife. 
Hosea still loves his wife. Hosea wasn't just going through the motions because God told him to do it, kind of like Jonah last week. He loves his wife, and we see it throughout this book. So it wasn't long, though, until she, Gomer, went back to her old ways of promiscuity, the, the, the things that she hadn't quite unlearned yet. She went back to these ways, and if you go to, to chapter 2, verse 5, and it's written in a poetic way, but more or less what it's saying is, I will again return to my lovers, is what Gomer's saying. And she begins to go out and hang out with other guys. Now, I can't imagine the picture of that as a husband, and your wife says, I'm going to return to my other lovers. I, I, I'm going to go for the day sometimes. I'm going to go for days at a time sometimes. I don't know what that's going to be like. I don't know what that would feel like, but it is a picture of what we do to God on a regular basis when we chase after other things of the world. And that is the story we're trying to see here. See, she was taken care of. Gomer was taken care of. She was loved. The only thing that I can see that might make her just a little bit stressed, and moms, you can probably speak more into this than I can, but when you are a mother of three children and you are the uh, wife of a prophet of God, there's probably a little added stress in there. And so maybe there's, I just got to get away from this. I don't know. And her immediate response was, I'm going to go back to my other lovers. But here's the thing. Gomer leaves and starts hanging out with other guys. And Hosea still loves her. She's out with other guys who spoil her as long as, as long as she gives them what they want. And Sometimes, like I said, it's for the day. Sometimes for his days at a time. And my guess is the town isn't huge where Hosea's buddies and the people who sit in Hosea's prophet church thing going on are like, hey, isn't, isn't that Hosea's wife with that other dude? And should she be going there with him? And she should be doing that with him? And the rumors begin to say and, and the questions begin to rise. Can you imagine the shame and the guilt and the rumors and the embarrassment for Hosea, a man of God, that his wife would be out sleeping around on him? This is what God called him to. Think about the nights that he answered the questions for the kids. Hey, where's mom? Where's mom? Think about the nights that he had to go out searching for her, to find her used and abused in a gutter in the wrong part of town. In that part of town that no man of God or woman of God should ever go to to begin with. But this is where he's finding his wife. Or maybe he's not finding his wife. And he's asking the guys that are on the street corner. He says, hey, have you seen my wife? What kind of embarrassing question would that be? Hey, man, sorry, bro. I saw her a couple nights ago, but haven't seen her. What kind of position is Hosea in? What kind of heartbreak is Hosea having? And then, it's more than just a couple of days. And more than just a couple of nights that she's gone. She decides to leave Hosea for good. And as she leaves Hosea for good, she goes with this other guy who is basically paying to keep her. But he runs out of money. He runs out of money and he is not taking care of her the way that he should. And because he was paying to keep her, he sees her as property. And because she is property, he's abusing her. And Hosea is seeing it all from the outside. He still loves her. He still loves her. And as he still loves her, he's seeing it. He goes to this guy so much so that he gives this guy money and he gives this guy food and says, take care of my wife. Take care of her. Do better for her. I love her that much that if she won't come to me, I will make sure that you can be a vessel that she is taken care of. Remember, this is a picture of God 
in Israel. God and God's people. I will continue to love. I'm going to continue to chase. I'm going to continue to do these things. Everything that she needed, she had in Hosea. Everything that she wanted, she had in Hosea. But she continued to chase after the stuff of the world. She continued after the stuff that the the Bible actually says she couldn't catch. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen that Geico commercial with the Halloween. And it's like, if you're in a horror movie... You're going to make bad decisions. It's just what you do. And they go and hide behind the chainsaws instead of getting in the running car. You know, have you ever gone to a movie where the person in the movie always makes the wrong decision? I remember I went to a movie and it was primarily African-American sitting around me. I'm not sure if you've ever sat in an African-American movie kind of thing before. But they talk to the screen. And they will yell at the character. Oh, no, don't you go in there. Don't, no, girl. You know, and there's this whole thing they're doing. And we can see this with Hosea Hosea and Gomer. Gomer, don't be doing that. You you know better. It's not going to end up. Don't, don't, don't go in there. Don't do it. And it's just over and over and over again. But she continues to chase and continues to be abused in the process. And then, and then the story takes another turn. This other guy who had run out of money, who Hosea was actually given money to, to take care of his wife, he says, you know what, I'm done with this. And he tries to sell her. He tries to sell her. He takes her to the auction block. And you know, she's stuck as a slave. She is literally a slave to what she has created. She is sleeping in the bed that she has made. You know, a lot of times we'll look at this and go, well, you get what you deserve, don't you? I mean, when we look at somebody else, we say, well, you chose it. You get what you deserve. You had all of it right here, and you just threw it away. I guess you'll learn now, won't you? And we can look at that, and and she's been chasing after the temporary and abandoning true love. But here's the thing. Hosea had the right to do exactly what we just said. Well, you get what you deserve. You're off on your own. As a matter of fact, Levitical law in Leviticus chapter 20 says if a guy found himself in this situation where his wife's sleeping around and doing all this stuff, He could divorce her, and not just divorce her, but have her executed. Have her stoned for doing this. But God, but God, in his mercy, had other plans. And he sends Hosea to that auction. And he sends Hosea to auction to buy her back. What could have possibly been going through his head at the moment that God says, I want you to go again, and I want you to buy her back? She's already mine. Why why do I have to buy her? Do you realize what she's done to me? She's embarrassed me. She has humiliated me. She has rejected me time and time and time and time again. Why would I set myself up for that again? Why would I spend money for that again? And the answer is because God wants to make a point. God wants to make a point, and that point is love. Over-the-top, crazy, relentless love. He wants to make that point. And maybe some of you in here have heard the song from from the late 70s by Cheap Trick. I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I'd love for you to love me. Didn't I, didn't I, didn't I see you crying? Didn't I see you all alone without a friend? Didn't I see you dying? The whole time I'm doing this message, that song is in my head. And I'm like, get out! This is supposed to be about the Bible, not about Cheap Trick from 1979. I mean, the song's 40 years old, so you had to have heard it at some point in time, right? But, but here's the thing. As, I, as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, that is God. 
He is watching. He says, I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I, I am just desperate to have a relationship with you. I'd love for you to love me. Look at all I have. Stop pushing me away. That, that is a song that we see, that over-the-top love, the boundless love, the crazy love that God has for you and for me. I mean, really, just stop and think about John three sixteen for just a second. It's a verse that if you grew up in church, it was probably the first one you had to memorize. And I could very easily say it, and you could tell me the rest of it. For God, what? Not just loved, is it? It's not just loved. It's so loved. So loved. How do you quantify so loved? It's over the top. You can't quantify so loved. You can say loved. But you can't quantify soul love. It is beyond anything that we can do. Well, what does he do because he so loved? He so loved the world that he what? He sent his one and only son. He gave us his one and only son to do what? To purchase us. To redeem us. To bring us back into his family. What's he do for Hosea? He sends him to purchase Gomer, to bring him back into his family. This is a demonstration of what God is doing for his people. So we jump to verse 1 of chapter 3. And I want you to notice the word love that is in here. Four different times. It says, and the Lord said to me, go again. And those are two incredible words. Go again and go again. Show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Why? Because just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Now that last bit in there, Christy's like, what? When I read it to her yesterday, and we'll get to it. But the word love is in there four times. Two times describing God's love, two times describing the definition that man has given love. See, God is love. So there's, you don't have to define it. He is it. But then man has made their own definition. Once again, sounds very similar to society today. The first time we see love is God's way of love. Hosea is commanded to love this adulterous wife. In this case, it means to persistently pursue. Persistently pursue. God sent Jesus to persistently pursue us. Same picture we see here. It doesn't mean to feel fond or physically attracted to, but to actively show love in reclaiming this adulterous woman back into his family, into his life, from a life of sin, from a life of bondage. The same kind of love that God has for his people who are adulterous in their pursuit of false gods as well. That's so love. But then the other times we see it's the way that man defines it. The way that man defines it is this. Gomer is said to be loved by another man. This is all about physical erotic sexual love she's being used and abused and that's the definition that we have today oftentimes of love when love wins and things like that this is it it's the physical it's not the definition that god has given us but the thing is the second thing is we see the children of israel are said to love the raisin cakes they love little debbies and and what the thing is is that the raisin cakes are associated with pagan worship. They're, they're brought to that. And that's where this raisin cakes thing comes in. And that's why I got thrown in at the end of the verse. They loved their pagan worship. They'd given up the over-the-top, amazing way 
of God. They, they had given it up. They become infatuated with the things of the world and the way the world defines what love is. Really, it's three ways. The first one is, is they love or they think that love can come from something that you've purchased. But that, that's not the way it works. That, that's not the way it, it works. I'm sure the Beatles actually squashed that one because you can't buy me love. The, the real truth is we can't, but we think that if I just do enough, therefore the love will return, but that's not it. The world also says that love can be found in the pursuit of self and self-gratification. But can I tell you that God's definition of love is the exact opposite? It's not about self-gratification. It's about giving of yourself. No man, no greater love than this, than a man who lays down his life for his friends, right? That, that is the definition of love that we have. Third one is love can be found and reciprocated from inanimate objects. It's about things. That is the love that we see today. God's people had given up the persistent, pursuing, faithful love from their rightful husband to chase after the things like Little Debbie's. That's what they gave it up for. They changed the definition of love so now they don't know what love really is. They're chasing after the things of the world and not after God. But Jesus himself says, what is it going to profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? You've lost what love actually is. But like this story, God does not abandon his people when they are slaves to false gods. He doesn't say, you know what, you've given up on the definition, therefore you made your bed, you can sleep in it. He continues to chase after and he reclaims us through his love, as his own. And then here's what happens next. Hosea walks into the auction house. He walks into the auction house where people are buying other people. And to make them slaves. A place where it's probably not a frequented hangout of a man of God. He walks in, people are staring, and there he sees his wife on the auction block. Probably stripped naked. Because... People who are buying other people want to see what they are getting. They don't want any blemishes hidden. So probably standing naked, probably standing in shame, probably standing with her head hung low, and everybody else in that room is looking to buy her, to use her and abuse her, and there's one man in there that says, that is my wife. And I want her, and I love her, I have loved her, and I will continue to love her. How much is it? How much is she? While everybody else wants to use and abuse, he who had already paid for her, who was already his, she was already his, says, I am going to give everything. As a matter of fact, as you see what he pays, verse 2, says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. Now, when you see that, here's the thing. Leviticus actually had a law of how much a slave cost. It was 30 shekels of silver. He didn't have it. So he got everything else he could together to buy her. To make sure that what was already his became his again. Did you guys see the gospel in this yet? And you begin to see that I'm going to give all so I can have my bride back. And the crazy thing is, is that sounds like, man, that, that is just a weird thing. 15 shekels, 5 bushels of barley. But here's something crazy. If you ever pay attention to numbers in the Bible and some of the significance of numbers in the Bible, did you know that number 15 actually is a representation of rest, restoration, healing, and deliverance? 
They generally celebrate the 15th day for some of their feasts because of that very thing. Deliverance. Did you know number five is associated with the grace of God? Deuteronomy being the fifth book and being a book about God's grace. Did you know that silver has to do with purity and barley has to do with sinful humanity? I mean, I'm not going to put everything together here because it's pretty explained already of what he paid that he gave all. But if you really broke it down, it says, by the grace of God, we've been bought and redeemed out of sinful humanity, purified and restored and brought back into the family of God through the complete payment of Jesus Christ. That's the story. Everything is pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything is pointing right there. This is a picture of Christ's redemption for sinners. You and I are the gomers. And Christ is Hosea stepping in and paying all for us. But not with 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. Said 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For I know, or for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, because society made it that way. Not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. See, this isn't just reclaiming love. This is redeeming love, purchased, redeemed. She was redeemed and purchased with a price because there was a price that had to be paid. We are the same. And the result, verse 3, I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way towards you. What's he saying here? We're renewing our vows. We we are renewing our vows. I am yours, and you are mine, and you're not going to go anywhere else. That's what God does for us through Jesus Christ. I am yours, you are mine, and you're not going to go anywhere else. We start at the beginning. We see this renewal. I told you, the name Hosea is salvation. You know what the name Gomer is? complete complete because of the salvation brought through jesus christ we are made complete god didn't just mess around with names it's pretty amazing to see what those kind of things kind of pull out here as you look through scripture that this all has a point this all has everything we are made complete and as we are made complete we are called to recognize our need for god and not to chase after all of the other stuff God says, you are mine. God says, I am yours. No more divided loyalty. No more living by the world's values. No more living for everything else. Live for what I live for and live for what I created you for. And that is to bring God glory. But we fight. We struggle. The more that I read this book, the more that I sat there looking at it, I said to myself this very thing. Why don't we get it? Why don't I get it? Why am I such a gomer? Why am I constantly chasing after other things that, 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 that aren't going to satisfy, but I think that somehow it's going to fill my heart, it's going to fill my life, and I'm going to be better because of it? Why do I chase after those things over and over again? Why do I think I'm going to find satisfaction in everything that is not God? Why do I give myself all my time, all my effort, all my money to things that really don't last and won't last? The things that don't care about me the things that will abuse me the things that will use me the things that will glorify themselves in it all but not bring anything to me not give me anything not care about me at all those are the things that i chase after that's gomer that's me 
And it truly is amazing that a story that is literally 2,800 years old is so fresh in this very moment. So fresh in this very moment. It's a struggle for so many people to, God, to just grasp God's love. God's amazing love. I can't grasp it, but we also can't grasp the human condition and how we want to push away God's love because somehow we think we can do it on our own. Aren't you glad that God still pursues us even when we don't want him? Aren't you glad that he sent his son even while we were still sinners, even while we were still his enemies? You know, I was thinking about it. And the songs that we sang this morning, because Jerome always asks me, hey, what's, the, what's kind of the focus of this week? Songs we sang this morning. And I'm like, there are hundreds of songs that speak to this. One of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. When it says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger imposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord. Oh, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Take it for thy courts above. It's a constant battle. You want a, a more recent song? What a beautiful name it is by Hillsong. You didn't want heaven without us, but Jesus, so you came down. You came to us. My sin was great, but your love was greater. What could separate us now? What, what powerful words. The, the newest one that played probably too much on the radio is called Reckless Love by, by Corey Asbury. When I was your foe, you, you still fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You think that was where Gomer was at? Feeling no worth, standing naked and ashamed on an auction block? But you paid it all for me. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, and it leaves the 99. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But still, you gave yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. If I have one challenge for you today, is to get it. Get it. That was my biggest fear this week was, I'm not going to do the story justice for you to get it. If you, no matter what you have done, God still loves you. You could not have done anything worse than the Ninevites did that we talked about last week. But God still loves you. He still wants you. He still sent his son to die for you so you could be a part of his family. Don't ever think, well, I am worse than Gomer. Because God died for her, and he died for you, and he died for me. And you know, if you're already there, and you're kind of in that, I'm God's people, but I'm chasing after the world. I'm God's people, and I'm chasing after the world. We have these core values as a church for a reason. It's for us as individuals who make up the church to live them out. What if there are other gomers out there that need to hear and see and experience the message of Hosea, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus. Save people, serve people. Found people, find people. I can't outgive God. If I'm giving my life and everything to everybody else, and I'm not giving it to God, it's all going to waste. Go after God. Get it. Get what he's trying to say, that your life is an example that backs up 
your words that you're sharing with other people. Live it. Get it. Experience who God is and then share it with others. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for who you are and thankful for what you do in our lives and thankful for the way you continue to to speak to us, to pursue us, to love us, even when we have a tendency to go after other gods, whether that God be the God of money or security or or our jobs, or our identity, whatever it might be. All the things that Hosea could have went after, all the things that Gomer did go after, God, I'm thankful that you are a forgiving and loving God. And even more thankful in your forgiveness and in your love, you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. And you've asked that I just accept that gift. And in accepting that gift, a life change begins. And as that life change begins, I begin to understand that all the things of the world that are temporary are just that. Temporary and empty. But you are eternal and full. God, may we chase after you. May we live our lives for you. May today be the day that we get it. I pray it in your name, Lord. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front and I would love to talk to you about who Jesus is about what he's done. If you have questions of what I've talked about this morning, I'd love to talk to you about that. But maybe right now, right here, is a time where you sit in your seat or you stand or you kneel or you do whatever you want to do in response, but you respond. Say, God, I was missing it, but now I get it. I was missing it, but now I I see, help me to change from my Gomer ways. Help me to stop being spiritual prostitute and sell myself out to every everybody else and chase after you instead.